bit of paranoia. Welcome to the Iron Sysadmin Podcast. All right, folks. Welcome to tonight's episode of the Iron Sysadmin Podcast. I'm your host, Nate, and I am joined tonight by both Mark and, you may not have seen him in a while, but Charles is back. <laughs> Welcome yeah, back, Charles. I so, just... Yes, you totally exist. Uh, you've been you've been busy, I think, um, converting your workplace over to a remote <laughs> remote possibilities. <laughs> but more about that shortly. More about that shortly. Uh, so yeah, and of course, Mark, you guys know from the last show, um, we we enjoy his singing so much that we've decided to bring him on as a more regular co-host. So uh, not not only to talk about Red Hat stuff, which is something we're not going to talk about tonight. <laughs> I wasn't we're gonna try anyway. Yeah, we really I wasn't told was singing. <laughs> Mark has a habit of sometimes breaking out into song, his own renditions of Disney. Uh, <laughs> let Disney it go, song. let it go. I'll sing right at the beginning. <laughs> Just get that. My right. contract says I get to do that at least once a show, so that might be the only time, but it probably won't. Be. Get it, get it right, right out of the way, right, right out of the gate. Right, right out of the way. <laughs> I haven't even really had much of my bourbon yet. Yay, Buffalo Trace. It'll, it'll get better as the bourbon gets lower, right? No doubt. I have a little over two fingers of bourbon. Uh, yeah, that, that'll make me very happy. Okay, so tonight um, we decided to, to depart from the theme you may have noticed on our most recent shows where we're talking about all kinds of Red Hat stuff. <laughs> Uh, so tonight, Charles is going to talk a little bit. He's He's been going through quite a bit of uh, sort of transition into AWS. And of course, with the coronavirus and COVID-19, um, all these changes that everybody's been hit with, having to, to just like turn on a dime and switch to remote and whatever. Um, as you guys know, Charles works in higher education, so he doesn't only have employees. Well, I guess the employees aren't really your first concern anyway, but perhaps the students, right, and the, the the ability to continue enabling learning. So these are the sort of things that we're going to talk about tonight. And uh, with that, I guess I'm just going to hand it over to you, Charles, and ho however you wanted to lead into this, and we'll just kind of chat. So, Yeah. I mean, it's a complicated topic uh, that's trying to unify sort of two different strands. So, yeah, so I work for a small liberal arts college, as Nate used to, and Something that's been happening for us over the last um, five weeks is that we've had to pivot to online only instruction. As we, you know, we sent all our students home as most schools did. Now we already had substantial online activities and online learning, but it's one thing to have those as a complement to the physical classroom experience, and you know, of course, the in-person college experience is what we're really about, and quite another where not only th that is suddenly the only thing which means even people people who were you know using these tools as an adjunct now this is now they have to do everything through that which means you know rebuilding lesson plans really just changing the way they teach and then people who had maybe resisted those tools until now basically don't have a choice um and this covered a lot of things i mean it's not just like you know learning management system but um, Zoom, Google Meet, you know, people who may not have had good home remote conferencing setups before, well, they've had to move ahead real quick. The second thing is, um, as I think we've mentioned on this podcast before, is that we are already in the middle of a process of transitioning from 
a self-hosted on-premises environment to hosting on AWS. So that's migrations, refactorings. So both of these things are happening simultaneously. And which is on the one hand, it's like, well, we're, we're ramping up capacity by moving to AWS anyway. So, well, whatever. On the other hand, a crisis is not necessarily the best time to be changing the way mm. things work because uh, stability is at a premium. Um, when this is like the only way that people or institution can communicate with each other. And so talking about capacity planning, one of the interesting things about hosting on premises, and maybe this is not true for everyone, but it's certainly true for us, is that you take certain things for granted. Um, a good example would be sending email. Um, you know, we have the ability to send email that was done by some kind of magic that Nate managed that I didn't really have to inquire too deeply about. It generally worked. Um, we run Moodle. It's a learning management system. It's open source. It's pretty popular. Um, it sends a lot of email. Professors can use it to send email to their students, like specific to specific courses or groups of students. Moodle sends reminders. If you had asked me three months ago how much email, it, how many emails it sent in a day, I would have shrugged and said, I have literally no idea and I don't care. Right. I can see Dude. where this is going already. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was never relevant. Now, when you, if you are going to host on Amazon, on AWS, you use their um, SES, uh, was it Simple Email Service? Um, you know, some acronym, you use that to send email and it gives you, you know, a, you know, you set up an IM role account, there's a blessed SMTP address to use and fine, whatever. But, and it works great and the IPs are trusted, so you don't have to worry too much about spam blacklists. But, if you but, want, but, if but. You, but, if you want to send more than 200 emails a day, and at a rate greater than one email per second and two people who are not like an explicit whitelist of confirmed addresses, you have to request that you get on Sandbox by Amazon, which means, among other things, you need to actually know how many emails you send. So for the first time, it's like for the first time, we actually had to look at this. Yeah. And for, and and actually find out what the scale was. Right, and then I, and then I'd imagine it's twofold, right? So the the first answer is probably not that hard to find because there's lots of ways to parse, you know, the email log data coming out of uh, a Linux box. Uh, mm -hmm. But the other piece of that is not only are you now uh, running email in a different way, or sending email in a different way, and you have to try to come up with this number, but you're also pivoting to a more um, Probably, I would I would guess a more email heavy uh, world. Yes, indeed. Because of the remote learning. So right. Yes, indeed. That's exactly so. Uh, so a few months. So like a uh, I guess it was about two months ago. Time has no meaning now. <laughs> right. What what um, month is it again? <laughs> TikTok. I think it's about March fiftieth. Um, <laughs> so we. Oh, I uh, thought it was April three hundredth. All right. I, I was. Either way, um, maybe it's March. Um, so, you know, we, um, we have our post fix logs in Splunk and a coworker, I'm sure you know who, um, came up with a little magic to figure out the number of Voldemort e emails being, um, sent, uh, per day and I, turned um, out on average, it was about, 
I may have already had a stored report that did that for you. That probably only, yeah, well, I, no, only I knew about. <laughs> I was going to say, nobody knows that. So anyway, uh, <laughs> thanks. Why don't you go back two months ago and we would have cared. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, so we pull the numbers and, and so we can get, we have historical data going back a year and seeing so, you know, they see peaks and valleys, depending on whether we're in session or not. And, weekend or not and like okay the average is about eh, the average daily average is like four to five thousand and there's this one day where it really peaked but we're like okay but you know, we could say we top out about ten thousand per day which in retrospect amazon's like well whatever here's a hundred thousand the interesting thing is then we went back and looked at the numbers again out of curiosity after about a week and a half after spring break having pivoted to online only who wants to guess at the percent increase? Tenfold. That's not a percentage. That would be. It's not a percentage. Okay, it's not a, a percentage. A thousand percent. There. Is um, it the same thing? <laughs> <laughs> right. Look, numbers, well, I was man. helping you out. Okay. <laughs> and I missed a perfect song opportunity a few mm. minutes ago for the first time. <laughs> up, up. Hate to see it. Yeah, it doubled. Uh, we were we, uh, we were sending we were sending twenty k. Um, uh, it's about thirteen. It's about um. It got it, I think that the peaks were like around sixteen to seventeen. But we were averaging like thirteen thousand a day. But when you consider that we already had something like seventy to eighty percent of so of all the courses that we taught, we had worked down the past that on average between sixty and eighty percent of the courses we taught in a given term, they're actually like real courses and not just like you know accounting notations we're being we're using moodle in some capacity so with the with the other people who aren't using moodle starting to use moodle to communicate with students and lost that in-class presence yeah doubled so that was very interesting um and that's just an example of a statistic we weren't even measuring um, right because no one no one really cared because when I mean, especially if you go back what a year and a half or whatever, when this was all on prem, it didn't mm -hmm. matter. It literally didn't, didn't matter. The only person that ever looked at those statistics was me, and that was just so I could make sure that my email system wasn't being overrun. Yeah. Right. And that was it. You know, I didn't care how many you sent. I just had to know mm -hmm. so I would know if, you know, there were problems, right? Right. And, you know, we never measured it. There were a lot of things we didn't measure because you know, when everything's kind of rolled up into your CapEx, you don't really think about like, oh, well, this is a little overbuilt, um, but it doesn't matter because, I mean, the, the VMs bond, you know, the underlying it's infrastructure paid is paid for. for. Yeah, yeah, it's paid for. It's paid for. And it's not like, you know, there's no internal chargebacks. It's not like, you know, web development had a line item that said, well, you're using these much, this much, yeah. these many resources. So I'm using one yeah. tenth of a penny per email or something, right? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Let me ask you, Charles, because yeah. when I was at uh, my job before Red Hat, a pharmaceutical company that rhymed with Schmirk, <laughs> I, I was at Merck. I think I've said that before. <laughs> yeah. That, we, started, we started to use Amazon in the early days. And what struck me was, their, their billing model was very much like uh, the Tenardiers in Les Miserables. Remember the song Master of the House? Da, 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 where he like charges you for every little thing. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the way Amazon gets you. So yeah. how do they bill you for email? Is it is it based on the data flow? Is it is it per X number of emails? Like, how does that work? I'm trying to remember. Um, 
it can't have been anything particularly significant because I'm not really being yelled at for spending too much money. Well, we haven't migrated yet. Um, I'm going to do that terrible thing where I vamp and actually just look it up. But um, I could have done that, but then it's not a conversation. Indeed. Indeed. Mark, Mark, looking it up and filing it away in his head doesn't make good podcast content. No, no. See, I'm learning. Okay. So your first, um, Nate's going to regret asking me to be a co a permanent co-host. He's going to totally friggin' regret it one of these days. This is about par for the course. Okay, so it looks like your first 62,000 emails per month are free. And then... Or should we say included? And then included, yes. And then 10 cents for every thousand emails beyond that. So the answer is, for an operation our scale, it's like the usage charges for websites. It's just... And you're doing 13K a day? Yeah. Okay. So that's not awful, I guess, maybe. All right. Well, but if you consider that the platform that's going to be running it, you know, is going to have a pair of not small EC2 instances and an RDS instance behind it, it's like, I don't even care what the email number is. It is so low compared to everything else we're paying for. Sure. The email is like the fact that I ordered Red Robin for my family and I had to spend 99 cents for a gluten-free bun for my one daughter. Yeah, it's like you pay, you pay it, you pay exactly. Yes, you pay it because you have to. It's the cost of doing business, but it's not really what you're spending the money on. Okay, um, but it's just another thing that Amazon uses to get the money from you. T t t t t. As the goes back into song. But you know, you're also just so for yeah. But for the first time, you're actually you actually have to think about your Amazon encourages you to think about yeah what we what are we building what are we what and kind that's, of capacity do we need? And I'd argue that's not a bad thing because I think a mm-hmm. terrible habit a lot of IT people get into, and I'm actually going through that with one of my customers right now, is they they build something and and their estate keeps growing and growing and growing like the fat kid eating cake. And all of a sudden things stop working. Like they're working one day and they stop working the next. And you look and you realize, oh, yeah, yeah. You were managing this number of nodes before, and now you're managing this number of nodes, and your system management tool fell over because it wasn't sized then, to handle that. Management. And then you have and the, then we're the assholes. Then you have the dreaded ass, conversation, but nothing changed. But nothing changed. <laughs> I didn't. Touch I didn't anything. touch anything. Yeah, except yeah. that your capacity is ten times what it used to be. Mm-hmm. Ten times is my is my thing for the night. Tenfold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ten times. Yeah, I. You know, I would agree. I don't think it's a bad thing. And I think that they give you reporting tools that are useful. I, there's a learning curve. Um, you know, the sheer number of metrics in CloudWatch is just dizzying. But I think the key is to figure out the ones that are relevant, um, you know, for actually measuring capacity. We went through this. Well, okay, I can't tell that story. But, um, but you know, now we're like, we grossly overspect a lot of the infrastructure that we used on premises, but in retrospect, but, but we did that know, intentionally. We, we were, and because as you did. stated, we already paid that money. Yeah. There was essentially, there was no, there's no incentive not to. Yeah. There was no reason that and, your web server couldn't have eight cores and 16 gig of memory. If it was the thing that we were, we wanted to be absolutely certain we're always working. Right. Yeah. But, you know, by the same token, uh, it was also because it was easier from our perspective, you know, my team's perspective, to request an overspec box 
than to request something that was maybe a little more dialed in, but then if it needed to have things added later, well, we have to go back, yeah. things have to change. Because oh, um, that's the worst. Like having the adding the hardware the machine on the floor. Oh, yeah. But well, we're talking VMs here, Mark. They're really easy to change, but the difference is that the, uh, that the web team True. doesn't have direct rights to do that, or at least they didn't in the old model. Basically, basically Charles, Charles's team and I, and later on both the sysadmins, would have a weekly meeting where all we did was talk about what systems do you need? Do you need more disk space for things? Do you need you know, more memory or CPU for anything? Is this stuff working? Is that stuff working? What do we think future plan? Like every week, we would have a two-hour meeting where all we did was sit around and talk about web architectures, right? Yeah. It was good work. It was important work, yeah. but it was still a ma fairly major commitment. And yeah. yeah, like, so the way you, so the way Amazon, I think, would prefer you approach it and the way we are approaching it, you know, you, you build an auto-scaling group with a bunch of EC2 instances or containers, you know, whatever is most appropriate for application, you start with what's probably the best reasonable size, and then you look at your metrics. And you're like, okay, do I need to scale this out horizontally? Um, are these boxes under-provisioned? Are they over-provisioned? Like, we're watching the load on the Moodle server. The web server itself is, it's technically... The load is about the baseline load has about doubled since uh, you know since March, but it's still not even cracking fifty percent of what it's capable of handling, or yeah. as we call it, smarch, smarch, smarch. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're in smarch now. I, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So um, I, I do have to. I'm I'm just kind of curious because I remember some of the design problems, or maybe not problems, but limitations we ran into when running Moodle. Um, you know, with like high availability and whatever, D did you, did you fix or, or work around any of those so that you can actually make this thing scale or is it really still just a fat VM with a bunch of disc behind it and a bunch P -H -A -T. of yes. yeah, well, we, uh, fat. Yeah. So, yeah. So on-prem, yeah, on-prem it's as is, and as you know, we grew the disc, so it's yeah. at terabyte and a half direct mount now and um it's a good thing we grew it too because yes that's something else that spiked was upload usage sure fat but yeah fat fat but <laughs> he likes but, big vms and he cannot lie <laughs> the other side can't deny <laughs> but we did solve but we solved the performance issue on aws okay because the interesting thing is we saw the exact same performance issue on efs that we had seen with on-prem clusters so mm. you're off you're off the hook. You didn't screw up. Yay! The the <laughs> it wasn't Cluster's fault. Oh, okay. The, but the difference is that on AWS, we just very quickly threw um, a Redis instance of ElastiCache in front to handle caching duties, mm. and it, and that cleaned up the performance. So let let me ask you something, Charles. Yeah. One of the one of the other challenges back at at Merck was people wanted to put their stuff in the cloud, but all they were really doing was lifting and shifting mm -hmm. traditional VMs and putting them in what was essentially, especially at that time, a less stable environment. Do, are you guys rearchitecting for your for your apps to be like self scaling and cloud aware, and uh, you know, you, components of it can be blown out? and it'll repair, or are you basically lifting a VM into EC2? So I can, I'm just, I'm going to speak for really the things I'm responsible for. There are certainly sure. some, there are certainly some workloads that we're migrating. They're going to be just because of what they're running. 
um, are going to be lift and shift and there's not going to be a lot of engineering done. But for a lot of the things I run, which are very traditional LAMP stack applications, Moodle, WordPress, Drupal, you know, these are applications that are pretty friendly to the concept of being treated Segmentation. Yeah. yeah. You know, we already, you know, already, you know, things were pretty well split up between, um, you know, database on one server, application on this server. Um, you know, we already said You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> well, I think the, I think the, 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 the beginning. I think the thanks may have been implied. Um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, it was already very well segmented in that respect. Um, you know, we had Nginx proxying on a separate box, which so like the mo so the model that we're following on AWS. You know, we have a load balancer, and then load balancer is going to your targets you know that was something we were like oh yeah that's we would do that anyway that, yeah, that that's, all. that's pretty much the way we had except, it already anyway conceptually that made sense but yeah so the re-architecting we were already pretty close to being able to have that kind of destructible environment it was really just a question of changing the way we were building our artifacts for deploying the application so the way we do that now is we, every so every time we build an application now, and we kick a build in our GitLab environment, um, it redeploys both the infrastructure and the application. So for the EC2 instances, the um, application code is just being downloaded um, as an asset, and then everything is set up as it were. You know, Apache is installed, PHP FPM is installed and configured. Uh, the application config is merged from the environment variables coming over from secrets manager. So like we've taken this to the point that our staging environments actually tear themselves down in the evenings and weekends and then bring themselves back up at that's, the start of the work at start of the work day. That's cool. I'm, I'm glad so, you guys finally got there. I, I wanted to see that kind of thing happen in even the on-premise uh, dev and stage environments that, that I used to help you guys run. I, I thought it would have been great to be able to codify all that stuff so that like all the infrastructure you needed to, to run a dev system, you could just like up it comes, do your yeah, stuff and then turn it off when you're done, you know? And Mark, yeah, and Mark, I'm glad you brought that up because like, that's an example where we never cared about just ha about the fact that we had a staging environment that ran 24 seven, like, right. well, whatever, it would be more of a pain to turn it off and bring it back sure. on. Amazon, you're paying for it. So you start caring. Yeah, you start caring very much. And you don't right. want to you don't want to obsess over cost engineering, but at the same time, if you have a staging environment that's basically not being touched on the weekends, you're running it, you're just that's a pile of money, you're just lighting on fire, and it does add up. But that's where Nate has to hit the soundboard with the dad yelling, Turn off the lights when you leave the room. I don't have one right. of those. I have Homer. Is that close enough? Sure. sure. There you go. <laughs> but so beyond the beyond the cost engineering, the fact that we, the fact that you know it brings itself up every morning. It's not like the EC2 instances, you know, were turned off and turned themselves back on in the morning. No, the RDS instance was paused. It it's it unpauses itself in the morning, and that sends an event that says tells the auto scaling group, "Hey, go make me two EC2 instances." And so again, they then get rebuilt from the ground up. So we also know that that whole deployment me method is still working. That's pretty cool. There's, it is. They're so, they're so close to a. I'm not. I can't mention Red Hat products as you said. We <laughs> they're so close to one of them right now. Mm -hmm. Oh my god. No, I know. 
Um, yeah, no, I'm sure you know because it's one of them that I wanted to deploy at the college for freaking ever. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, so it's so it's a refactoring. It's not a um, significant refactoring in our case, but certainly for some applications, there's uh, further to go. But there again, there's oh, that yeah. question of well, how much capacity do you really need? Um, do you need and how much uh, workload segmentation do you want to do? So we have we have well we have a number of database clusters on prem, but there's one in particular that's set up in the traditional primary replica approach because some of our applications don't deal very well with clustering. Mm -hmm. um, so three you know, there's some Moodle environments, a web work environment, um, RT. You know, there's a couple of different things. They're all sharing this. Um, you know, set of database servers and load spiked on that database server. And it's actually more of a problem than it was on any of the downstream web servers. We're actually, it's, it's okay. But um, if we weren't migrating workloads off of there in the next few months, I'd be kind of concerned because we're like right at the edge on disk space. Ugh. So do we... Um, so there's an example where we bite the bullet on cost engineering. Like, you know what? It was great having this shared workload, you know, this shared database cluster. We put a bunch of different applications on, just had to manage this one thing. But it also meant that all those applications were now basically dependent on, e on each other mm -hmm. in a very non-obvious way. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it is kind of an obvious way, simply in that, the database backend is all shared across those applications. And I think we always knew that that was a possible, a possible uh, scenario, right? Where the database was the problem and it brought a whole bunch of applications down to its knees or down to their knees when it had an issue. In fact, I seem to remember troubleshooting issues like that with you mm -hmm. and your team several times, especially before we had that clustered. Yep. So, it was absolutely a problem. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's not, it's, it's one of those problems that, Oh dear! The cat has found the empty food bag. Um, <laughs> it's all downhill, downhill from here. <laughs> it's definitely one of those things that didn't. It, it's one, it's like it didn't happen enough to provoke anybody to do anything about it. But at the same right. time, when we started drawing up our plans for how we're going to migrate these workloads, and at first we were thinking, okay, yeah, we'll have a shared RDS environment because boy, RDS is a little expensive and. Then when we started actually describing doing our infrastructure as code stuff with the cloud development kit, we're like, this is awkward as hell to have to reference these external references. Let's let's just bite the bullet, spend a little more money, and actually have completely independent infrastructure. These workloads don't actually have anything to do with each other. Right. Why are we tying why are we tying them together? Right, right. And in a case where we were running an on-prem database, it just made sense. We put a whole lot of effort into making one very resilient database infrastructure. Right. And it made sense to share that load. But in an in a, a cloud or AWS or I assume this applies to Azure and other cloud providers. Uh, you don't have you don't have that limitation, right? If you have a dozen database instances, you don't have all of the cruft that goes along with managing a dozen database servers like you would if you were running it on prem. Yeah, because you're basically you, know, you have to like if you're using RDS, for example, you're not running the database server right. anymore. Right, That's you're really idea. not. You don't have an OS to patch. You don't have you know uh, logins to manage. You, you don't have any of that because it's all abstracted away. That's the whole point of software as a service, which is what RDS is. Yeah. And, but yeah, that means you really do have to think differently about 
what you're doing like if you just if you just do a straight lift and shift of any of everything without really examining what you're doing you're missing a real opportunity yeah um but it also means that you need to have a better understanding than you might have had previously like what does my infrastructure actually do what does it actually what does it you do here you know? Would you say <laughs> walk walk through a day for us? Um, well, I, yeah. Come in and stare at the wall for about fifteen or twenty minutes. Yeah. You know, it's like figuring out like so. What actually talks to what? Um, is any, I talk to the engineers. The engineers, the engineers can't what? talk to people. What the hell is your problem? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, Anyway, like, you know, we were talking about yeah, something sure. in the cloud. We're like, <laughs> Charles, is, like, Charles is being totally serious, and I, as usual, I, I railroaded us into office space. That's okay. I don't know. It's, good, it's good to have somebody to bounce off of, but you know, you're just figuring out, like, you, you know, these are actually fundamental questions that you think you know the answers to, and you realize that you kind of don't. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and you have to ask, am I doing something because it's the right thing to do, or because my infrastructure as it existed dictated that I do it this way. Like it made perfect sense to have, you know, two pairs of highly available WordPress servers with workloads split up in a certain way, just because it was easier. It was ultimately easier to manage, but it also Mm -hmm. means that if one of those workloads um, starts having a feeling or having a moment, then all of a sudden you've got a widespread outage. Yeah. I see. I teed that one up for you. Then yeah, you, you, know, you have these you have these outages that happen or these incidents that happen basically because you bound the fates of certain sites together from yeah. an infrastructure perspective. But if they were on different infrastructure, it wouldn't really you know they, you wouldn't see that kind of thing. Right. Like so. So that's really a strong argument. Uh, again, when I was in the SA world, yeah, back in my day, basically you gave people a box, right? Here's your box or your boxes. And the app people just did whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there were definitely times where it would have been super helpful if I had had a better understanding of application flow and what was actually going on. And and so I think what I'm hearing is there's a strong argument that the folk doing the system design maybe need to have better conversations and a better understanding of the application flow so they can advise and, and help make better decisions. Right. So yeah. those, those meetings that I was talking about, the two hours every week, that was why part of why we had those meetings, because I, I, I admit, I, I know more about website operation than maybe some sysadmins, but I'm not, I'm not an expert. Right. Yeah. But I am, you know, or I was at that point, the guy who knew how to run systems and the web team the were the guy. ones that knew how to run the web applications. So instead of just making them put all of their requests into text in a ticket somewhere and then I try to parse it and then we hope we get it right, we started having literally direct meetings where we bounced ideas back and forth. And I think as a result, we came up with better infrastructure because of it. That's exactly yeah. what you're saying, right? The web people so, and the engineering people are talking with each other and making a better, better product. Yeah. And what's funny is, is at Merck, I'm sorry, Charles, at Merck, we had that tight relationship with the web team because the web was the first thing that was allowed on Linux. So we actually understood (laughs) the web infrastructure really well and how they ran their web stuff. It was all the other third-party applications. We had no clue. Here's a a Linux box. It's a black box. Uh, and, And the application people generally weren't very 
we didn't really have those deep conversations. So, so maybe there were some opportunities there if we, if we had had, but yeah, the web team, we had that deep relationship with, and it definitely showed, right? Yeah. And it's, you know, as you say, it's a conversation. Um, you know, it's not just a case where, you know, you know, the web people are like, we need X and Y, you know, it's a conversation. It's like, so tell me why, tell me about X and Y, tell me what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Tell Um, me what about your Maza. Yeah. (laughs) Cause otherwise like, you know, I I put in a request that looks like, like, okay, that's a thing I can do, but, um, what are you actually, what's going on, man? Like, because you don't know what you don't know. I didn't have much experience with proxying before I got to Lafayette. And I'll never forget the time I put in a request that looked absolutely unreasonable on its face, but seemed reasonable to me. And the former head of digital infrastructure, um, I think I, well, Mark, you probably met John Fulton at some point. Oh, so yeah. like, he also so works for Red Hat now. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. So like, why don't you just, um, why don't you just uh, accomplish this with SSH forwarding? And I can't, you know, I've been running Linux for something like, well over a decade, never did SSH forwarding. Nobody ever told me right. about it. Right. Like, There's you, you know, dirt simple, but again, nobody ever tells you. You don't Maybe know what you don't know. Like you, you said. Don't. Yeah, I, I can remember having to have almost flat out arguments with, uh, with the web team about proxying when we were first trying to deploy it. Because mm-hmm. that was that was a thought that came out of the what what used to be the network and systems team, and that was actually me and Jason had come up with the idea like we should have these reverse proxies in front of the web presence mm-hmm. so that when people like there's another layer of protection in between the world and the web stuff, and going to the web team and trying to sell that was not easy because <laughs> it's like well, you want to do what to my application? No, no, no. We just want to help protect it, but but this and that and. Th- <laughs> And uh, without dredging up too much history, let me just say that um, you all improved a salesman over the years. Um, (laughs) All right. And so now, you know, with the model we have now where our web boxes aren't even in a publicly accessible network, you know, only the load balancers, you know, but we're all comfortable with that. That was always the goal. (laughs) We never quite got there while I was there. It took a move to AWS to make it happen. Yeah. 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 You know, it's something that we're comfortable with now. Um, right, right. So, um, we're like half hour into this this topic. Is there more mm-hmm. you want to touch on? Because we we can we can certainly continue, or we can try to start putting a bow on this, and we can move along. <laughs> a pretty pretty bow. Pretty bow. I don't know if I have any. In, those were the those were the things that were um, kind of forefront of my mind. Just like. <sighs> Last couple of months, well, yeah, last couple of months, just having to have a much deeper understanding of how my applications work. And Nate, what are you wearing? <laughs> um, my my first thought was the beginning I, of Terminator Three when well, he, when no, he puts so off the goofy glasses. I'll, I'll tell you exactly how that happens. So I'm like, hold I up. have I have all these little girls in the house. I must have a bow somewhere on my desk that I can hold up. And I, I saw these glasses that my five-year-old got me for Christmas. I figured I'd put them on. <laughs> well, and of course, podcasting is all a of visual you, medium. All of you that are watching the video know exactly what I'm talking about. And those of you that aren't, sorry. <laughs> anyway, Just, you were you were you trying to say something me. intelligible when I did that. <laughs> oh, I, I provoked the question. Um, <laughs> you know, Just having to have this much deeper understanding of like – 
what your application does. And, you know, that, that comes at it a couple of different ways. It's one's like, oh, well, I've always had this much capacity. Okay, well, do you have like usage data over time? You know, do you have like, you know, is Nagios monitoring? Do you have process load graphs? Like, do you actually, are you even using that capacity? Do you need it? Um, what is your, if you take uploads, what is your upload growth look like over time? Admittedly, that maybe matters a little less with Amazon since an EFS file system will just expand forever. You never need to resize it. Right. But it's still relevant. Um, I mean, you're still paying for the storage, right? You're still oh, paying for this. Yeah, you're paying for the storage. And so maybe you think about um, storage classes and whatnot, but you don't have to worry. Hey, I'm going to have a service affecting maintenance where I got to go grow the disk. Right, um, right. Or I have to migrate to a new SAN, which I know is a conversation that we've had many times in the past. <laughs> yep. SAN be um, keeping us down. Yeah, you know, there's this whole there's this whole category yeah, you know, this whole category of considerations that aren't relevant anymore, but then there's this whole new set of things you have to start thinking about. Or like, hey, I've got this janky system D based cron system that I'm using on my WordPress environment. Janky. Oh, okay. it's janky. Um, do I want to run this on like I can probably, you know, run this on EC2 and Amazon. Do I want to? Do I need this? Right. Um and then you start thinking, okay, well, like what's what like if and start thinking, am I doing anything that presupposes state on my VMs? I hope not. Boy, I sure hope not, because that's a bad habit. But Indeed. if I am, what can I do about that? Right. Because as you say, I should be, comp you know, for this, you know, in this kind of environment, EC2, you know, an EC2 instance there's or anything like it is really uh There's new ways of thinking. There, there are new ways of thinking, and, and the developers need to be in those new ways of thinking or else you could be in big trouble. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got to be, like, I'm, I like to say I'm on a first-name basis with all the VMs on-premises here, yeah. whereas... If the instances were deploying on Amazon, I don't care. Couldn't care less. And that's, it's going to be it's going to be destroyed, you know, in a few days when I redeploy again. Right, and that's that's how it should be on EC2 or on on AWS in general. That's that's how how it needs to be designed because you you can't carry your pets into the cloud and expect them to work the way they did on prem. I mean, they may work like they did on prem, but it's not the same environment. It's really not the same, and you can't treat it the same. No, and you gotta let it go, and you gotta be let able to, it go, let it go. <laughs> you walked into this song. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know that, that's a that's a mental adjustment that you have to make, but it's also just an engineering question. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's this whole new category of problems to think about. Now we, it's not they're nice problems to have in some ways. We could go all into how uh, Red Hat can help you make that that happen across any cloud and including your own data center, but I'll save that talk for some other day. Mm. <laughs> so, um, unless there were any other thoughts, I think we can move along into the center section of the show where we just ramble on about things, kind of like we just did for the last forty minutes. But with less focus. But with less focus. And less focus. Less, less cloud. So, all right. Here we go then.
All right, now I gotta find my show notes. Here we go. All right, so I don't know that I have any real announcements except our usual Patreon update. I guess we can... The only conference that I know of that's still happening, albeit virtual, is Summit, <laughs> which, uh, which which is coming you up. Can't talk about. Well, we can talk about the fact that it's virtual and free. Mm. <laughs> Truth. And coming up next week. So if you haven't registered for Summit, you should, um, because it's free. There's a lot of people registered. It's about all I'm going to say. Oh, yeah, I probably shouldn't tell. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if the number of people registered is a thing we can't even talk about, but whatever. There's it's a, a lot. friggin' lot of people. There's a lot, and it's more than, I, as far as I know anyway, more than have ever actually more been than, physically present for, uh, for some more than are More than are supposed to be <laughs> in a small place right now. Yes, <laughs> a whole lot more. <laughs> I don't know if there must be a venue somewhere that holds as many people as we're talking about, but I don't know. Not not in the, the days of social distancing. No. Not my house, for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, no, not the whole lot that my house is on. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Patreon. Uh, we gained a couple patrons. I think one was before the last show. I think we had 13 patrons last show. We have 14 now. Uh, so I'm going to read through them quick. Uh, we got our, our old faithful, 22532, who's been there since the beginning. Thank you again. Uh, Andy, Captain Sog, Charles, hi Charles, uh, Dementor, Gimpy B, Jay, who's supposed to be here but isn't, <laughs> Jason, who's not the Jason you're thinking of, uh, John Julius, uh, Linuxis666, who's a guy who I've been chatting with on Twitter for a very long time and he's finally become a patron, so thank you very much for that. Uh, La Chueta. Mark with a C, hi Mark, uh, Mark with a K. Oh, hi Mark. And, um... <laughs> Ryan, who's also a relatively new patron. So thank you, all of you, for your patronage. Exactly, that's what that is. Um, we're making something like before the Patreon tax and whatever transfer fees PayPal charges me, uh, we're making like 70 bucks, which is awesome. That covers lots of, or covers all of the show's expenses and um, even, even has me considering, uh, maybe once we get a little bit more on the patron side, uh, paying for StreamYard, which we're using to do this broadcast, which would let us do a few more things with StreamYard, including getting rid of their logo at the top of the broadcast here, putting in our own backgrounds, and a few other neat little things. Uh, but it's like 20 bucks a month, and I haven't hmm. haven't committed to that yet because it's a lot of money for those few little features. Um, but at any rate, uh, it's a good thing. Um, so thank also you. Let us would also let us host that uh, live rewatch of uh, The Room, which apparently Mark is volunteering to host. Ugh, my son made me watch it. Oh my God, it's so bad. <laughs> what are we talking about? Did I miss something here? <laughs> you did. Oh, a terrible, it. terrible movie that if you've never seen it, don't. It's called oh. the, the Room? Is that the what it's called? The Room. Yeah, Tommy was so made it. Oh, it's so bad. So it, I mean, is not, it, is, it is not the most inept movie I've ever seen, but it I've, is certainly in the running. I've seen some bad it, movies. So, so Charles, knowing what I know about the sort of movies that you watch, would would you watch it or would you not? Um, well, I, I've, I have seen it. I saw it at B-Fest. I saw it at Steel Stacks, and I've fallen asleep in front of it in my own home. Okay. So I have seen it. Um, I saw it once any, under protest in my own home. If you're any, if you're any kind of connoisseur of um, – film or worse then uh, it's certainly a landmark and it's bad enough that it had its own movie made about it oh uh, it's called the disaster artist 
And calling it a B, calling it a B movie is kind. It's probably closer to a D E or even approaching F. Well, the funny thing is that in a way, it actually has fairly high production values, um, just in terms of like the money that was spent to make it. But yeah, it's oh, the script. Yeah, it, it's got problems. It's got many problems. So, yeah. uh and Nate's going to go run out and watch it after he plays a couple I, of rounds of Fortnite. Uh, yeah, oh, that's right. right. I've, I've, I've probably played 15 minutes of Fortnite my entire life, so I, I don't know if I'd count on that. <laughs> so, Mark, uh, you, you may not know this, but uh, that B-Fest that Charles has mentioned, yearly he goes to revel in the, the art that is B-movies. <laughs> and where's this reveling occur? This uh, it's been since the early 1980s. It is hosted on the campus of Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois, and oh, it is okay. 24 hours, mostly uninterrupted, of bad movies. You it's you get about 14, squeeze about 14 to 15 movies into a 24-hour period. Plan Nine from Outer Space is shown at midnight. <laughs> yeah, that's appropriate. And that yes. is a good, that's a good midnight movie. It's, it's, I mean, I think Plan 9 is actually pretty great as far as these things go. Um, I find Plan 9 more tolerable than The Room, to be honest, but yeah. Oh, God, yes. Uh. So, when is BFET? Was it moved this year or canceled this year it, because of the... It was held in early February. It's really one of the last things I did before it kind of went to hell. It was okay. good this year. Okay. Wonk, wonk. Good lineup. No, cool. for given values of good. Yeah, well, no. I mean, it, obviously, you know what you're getting into when you go there, right? So good oh, yeah. fits within that lens, right? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Flash, Flash Gordon really brought down the house. Yeah. Flash. Love that movie. Great movie. That movie was uh, that movie was uh, uh, on HBO about a billion times when I was in high school, <laughs> and we got it on VH. You know, we recorded it to VHS, and we just you flash. I don't even consider that a bad movie. It's just a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. Gordon's alive, alive, alive. Yeah, that's the thing about B movies, though they they generally are fun as long as you're not coming into it expecting a good movie or a great movie, yeah. I should say. You know, but yeah, yeah, but there's certainly a continuum there of like entertaining versus cringy. Like for cringy, like the early '80s uh, comedy with uh, Andy Kaufman and Bernadette Peters, uh, Heartbeats. Heartbeats. Just, mm. Have yeah, not they, seen that one. They play robots. They, they play robots. I. Okay. Figured from the title is something it's, like that. The, the thing about a bad comedy is almost by definition, a bad comedy is not funny. Yeah. Well, it's mm. not supposed to be at that point, right? If it's a bad comedy. Well, it was supposed to be. But it was it wasn't. supposed to be funny, but it wasn't. Okay. Mm. Awkward. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So I don't think I have anything else in the way of announcements. Uh, I did not find any new reviews. This week, Aww. yeah, I know. Sad trombone. That's, womp womp. that's something I need for the soundboard. In fact, maybe I'll just take that Aww. recording right there out of this show and make that the clip of Mark going womp womp. Yeah, you really got to work on the soundboard. There should be dozens of buttons you can hit. Listen, the the number of times I've used I'll... any of the sound clips other than the trans transition music uh, has been very low. 
So, are you, so. I, I'll make a standing offer to do a recording session with you of me doing various, no, you know, Elsa no, clips no, so no, that no, you no. may just be on the soundboard. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds like a sounds great and terrible idea at the same time. <laughs> great and terrible. Those are the best ideas. The great and terrible ideas. Uh, okay. All right. So, at any rate... That covers all of the usual housekeeping stuff. Uh, you guys have anything fun going on? I see you put some notes in here. Charles, you go first. Something about documenting the outdoors. Yeah, so... I love the domain name, only because I know the story behind it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so something I started doing is I've always, I've always liked bicycling, but, you know, it was easier when I lived in Michigan because Michigan is in general flat and uh, Eastern Pennsylvania is not, but um, you get used now to that we're, right. But now that we're kind of cooped up, you know, one of the few things that we can really do and enjoy is outdoor exercise. Mm -hmm. So I've taken to biking after work every day and uh, also on the weekends, I'm doing an average of like, you know, nine to 10 miles a day. There's a lot of good rail and canal trails in the area that I live in. And I've just been taking every day that I go out, um, I'm taking pictures of things that catch my interest. There's sure, at this point, there's a lot of repetition because uh, there's just certain things I photograph very often because there's only so many different places. Yeah, you've I only got so many routes you can follow, right? Yeah. But so I've been doing it really since the beginning. And I have how many? Four, three, four. Six, seven, yeah, almost like 30 days worth, um, just organized by day of pictures of just where I've been. And you can, you can see, for example, the landscape greening over the last month and change and yeah. things yeah. bloom and some days, some days it's clear, some days it's cloudy, um, over, the, over these wonderful 90 days of smarch. Indeed. <laughs> so I, I mean, I, I recognize some of these pictures from my time in, uh, in Easton when I was working down there. And um, some of them were, you know, places I liked to go that were like within walking distance of the office whenever I was just having a bad day or something. Mm -hmm. So good stuff. So that's something I do and uh, it's just become part of my routine. So the, you know, the link to that gallery, just a subset of um, my hosted galleries um, is in yeah. the show notes, um, yeah. you know, following along and just, Seeing a little bit of the outdoors in eastern Pennsylvania. Surprise! I see lots of trains. <laughs> in the, in uh, the by, I like trains. In the by trains are awesome. Well, by interesting coincidence, um, any number of these bike trails are um, follow active railway lines, so uh, trains do show up from time to time. That's not a coincidence. Admitted. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark, another thing you may not know about Charles is that he's a train enthusiast. Is enthusiast the right awesome. word, or should it be a higher level than enthusiast? <laughs> uh, I think I think rail fan is the non pejorative descriptor these days. Okay, um, rail okay. fan, rail fan. I used to have uh, model trains growing up. My dad had mm -hmm. an N scale railroad, and I had an HO one. Oh yeah. And one of my, one of the virtual reality games I have actually lets you build your own model railroad using. Mm using either mm -hmm. from scratch using templates and then this is the nice. cool part because it's virtual reality you can jump into the locomotive and drive it <laughs> awesome oh, that's cool so that's awesome. That's awesome yeah, yeah. I'm, i model in n but um i haven't been working on it in a while 
Yeah, I, used I, to, I always think about I always think about putting a, a layout up again, but it's just something I've thought about, haven't done. Yeah, every every year my dad and I used to set up an HO gauge uh, layout right around Christmas time. It was just like a tradition we had, and um, I loved it. And I I still would to be honest. I don't have any room to set the thing up because HO is not. It's not tiny, right? It's not like huge either. It's just just big enough that you need, you know, a good eight by eight space to really set something up. And you really uh, do. I just don't have it. I don't have the room. Um, but yeah, I used to love that, and I would, I'd, I'd love to share that with my own kids now. But we just don't have the space for it. That's it. I gotta buy a new house, bigger house, so I can set up trains. <laughs> Sounds legit. Yeah. That's I, what I would do. I need a bigger workshop, a bigger garage, and a place to set up trains, and then I'll be happy. <laughs> so um right i had a thought about something i was going to talk about now i forget what it was oh my wife and i have started running Hmm. it's like just this week that we started it but um i don't like i viewers may not know this but um i i ran in high school and i used to really enjoy it um but i was never big on the competing part and Without a competition to train for, it's really easy to fall out of running, and I fell out of running, and I just never got back into it. And we've we've tried over the years to sort of get back to it just for the fitness aspect of it. And um, my wife just all of a sudden came to me and said I, that she'd like to start running. So I'm like, absolutely, let's do that, because I could use some exercise too, especially now that I work from here, and I don't even really walk as much as I used to anymore. Um, so yeah, we started, there's a, there's a well-documented program called Couch to 5K which is basically a 90-day program that's supposed to get you from, like, couch fitness, <laughs> you know, like I sit on the couch all day sort of fitness, up to being able to run a 5K. So we started that this week, and uh, hopefully we can stick with it this time, and we can we can actually, I don't know if we're ever going to compete or not, but uh, hmm. I don't know. I'm enjoying it. I hopefully, hopefully she's enjoying it, and uh, we'll keep going with that. Yeah, I, I try to walk every day at least, at least after lunch and maybe after lunch and dinner. But about the only time I run is if I think I'm being chased by a bear. Yeah. But yeah, I do, I but lot. I do measure, I do measure my steps. Right. Yeah. And I, and I calculate the calories I'm eating because, uh, I'm trying to, I, I ended up sick a few weeks back. Nate knows about this. Mm-hmm. And one of the accidental benefits is I lost all the weight I put on during vacation and then some, so I'm like, whoa, I'm just going to take advantage of this because yeah. I had no appetite for yeah. almost two weeks. And I definitely feel better when I walk and my, my, you know, I got the diabetes, which my doctor would like me to weigh less. So, so that's a good thing. But I looked at from couch to 5k, but the running aspect frightens me a little bit. I don't, I don't think I'm a runner. It's, I mean, my wife I like is walking. My wife is not a runner. Okay. And she never has been right. Like this is like, for me, this is a thing that I can easily jump back into. I'm, I'm out of shape. But I know how. Well, know round I, is a shape. Well, no, I mean like, like because I have experience running, it's it's easy to get back into the like the the right. You know what it feels like. Right, the endurance aspect of running, where she's never done that. Uh, so for her, it's all new, right? And she's yeah. she's doing good with it. She's actually really enjoying it so far. It starts out That's by good. it starts out by running like an interval thing where you walk for a minute and a half and then you run for 60 seconds and you walk for 90 seconds and you run for 60 seconds and back and forth and back and forth. And you, you do that like eight times in a, in a, in a session. And then that's like, that's your first week. You do that three days of the first week. And then it, I'm, I haven't looked yet, but I'm sure that 
ramps up as as it goes on. That's how this is. Going oh, it would have to. Yeah. Well, yeah. Have. You're never going to get the 5K going that way. So it's it's going to ramp up as as time goes on. So maybe next week we'll be running 90 seconds instead of 60. I, I don't know. I haven't looked at it. Um, but you know, it's I'm finding it really easy to get started. She's finding it easy enough to get used to the idea of running. Um, we even have our kids coming with us. You know, so uh, they're. They're doing okay with it, right? So, and I mean, kids obviously have endless energy. So, <laughs> I like I like trooper. I like a trooper set. I do enthusiastic walking. I mean, like I don't do lazy walking. I do like honestly, I do jer- Jersey Jersey fast paced walking. The the thing with running is, and this is obviously this is like a proven thing. It's bad for your knees, right? So like that's the big yeah. downside to running. It's great for lots of other things. It's really bad for your knees. So there's people that ran for most of their lives. And they're like, I can't do it anymore. I had to stop because my knees are so bad, right? So I'm not going to say that running is for everybody. If you'd rather walk, like power walk or bike, like Charles is doing, those are all uh, great ways to do it as well that are less damaging on your knees. <laughs> so I like I like walking because there's no equipment involved. And I just, I say hi to the dogs in the neighborhood as I go by. I know most of their names now. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an easy exercise to do. And the Fitbit counts my steps, and then I get more calories to eat yummy stuff. Yeah. What I like about biking is I just see um, more of the world. You know, I can go further afield and just. I understand that. I like I like walking, and um, I just don't own I don't own a modern bike either, so that you know I don't feel like buying one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So at any rate, um, good for you guys though. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you got exercise is important. And I neglected exercise for way too long in my life. I, I will admit that. I mean, so have I at this point. <laughs> and yeah, it is. It's easy to get. Honestly, I'm at the point where I'm like, oh, my God, I've been stuck in this chair for too long inside too long. I need to go for a walk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, mean, I just feel better. I've been mm-hmm. I've been doing that uh, probably since I started working from home when I moved to Red Hat. It's, you know, I. When I worked at the college, it was really easy to just step away from my desk, even if it's just to walk out and get some lunch or, yeah. you know, just go for a quick walk, a 15 minute walk around town or whatever. And I mean, Charles, you and I had had walked down to the river a few times, like mm-hmm. just because it's a nice place to go, like hang out, clear your head and get back to the office. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't really get that here. So I have to force myself to get up and, you know, sort of get out. Uh, of the, house. The, the funny thing is that at Red Hat, you won't ever get in trouble if you just flag yourself AFK and vanish for 45 minutes. No one's going to give a crap. Yeah. Especially if you have your phone with you, because if a customer calls, they'll call you on your phone. Right. So, so, uh, but yeah, the same thing, right? You feel a little guilty about getting up and even, like, there'll be days I eat lunch at my desk because I'm ah, 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 but I don't have to. I should, I could eat lunch upstairs in the kitchen and probably should do it that way. Right. I eat it. I eat my desk too. <laughs> but I sometimes am like watching YouTube or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, I try to on. do something other than work over lunch, at least, even yeah. if I'm at my desk. All right. So, uh, Mark, you put in a note in here that you're that you're smoking meat. Yeah. So <laughs> surprise. So, so one of the things my my lovely wife got me a big green egg for Father's Day last year, and uh, oh my god, uh, it is a magical device, and I have added things to it, such as the. Uh, the Flame Boss, uh, the Big Green Egg branded Flame Boss that's Wi-Fi capable. It's uh, it's a fan that you can set the temperature using your smartphone, and it'll hold the grill at that temperature perfectly. Um, 
But I refuse to like order ribs and stuff like that at restaurants anymore because I'm a total snob now because mine are better. Um, so I ended up having a little vacation the other day. Uh, we found uh, there's a local meat place, Nello's Specialty Meats in Nazareth. Oh, my God. They had a family special. And so I went over on Monday and I joked with Sharon. It was like getting out of the house and going to Nello's Meat Specialty Meats felt almost as joyful to me as when we stepped on the uh the the uh the, the ship in 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 smarch on our disney cruise it was almost because i'm like i'm out of my house it's a gorgeous day i'm seeing other people yeah right right but this place was like meat heaven i so i picked up a pork butt and made it yesterday to make shredded pork and it was oh mwah. head and shoulders above the supermarket uh pork i've been doing on the on the on the egg i'd imagine so oh yeah unreal so now i have a new meat place but i put a picture of the uh, i put a picture of the uh the butt linked in the in the show notes uh but but smoking meat yeah i, I just it's it's become a thing now it's something i really love doing you and you can do regular grilling with the with the egg too you don't have to do the slow cooking you can make pizza on it you can do all sorts of crazy stuff. It, it's really, really pretty wonderful. Pizza on the grill. Is this little wire coming out of there like a temperature sensor? Is that what that is? Uh, so or let me look picture? at the pic again. Yeah. So it, what the... Uh, it looks like yeah, you've, you've put like a bike lock on your, your food, but I assume that's not what that is. That's not a bike lock. <laughs> that's that like a laptop the, lock. That, <laughs> that is the... Uh, the, the, the the uh, flame boss has two has two sensors. That sensor is in the meat to detect the temperature. There's another sensor off camera that tells me the temperature of the grill itself, and it uses that to control when it blows air or not. And then cool. the drip there's a drip pan under it. Uh, yeah, I figured that must be what that is. Yeah, but this this was almost five pounds, and it was just amazing. My wife's not. This is not my wife's favorite style of meat, but it was so good that even she actually liked it. Cool. So, cool. yeah, yeah. So, shout out to Nellos. Woo! I threatened them on Facebook that I'm going to come back and buy all their pork butts. Come back and buy Everyone. all their meat. Buy all the butts. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've we've had a few of the pieces from our order, and it's all amazing. So, if you're near Nazareth, they're a great place for for meat. Cool. Cool. Plug plug over. All right. So, we have news to cover. May as well get into that, huh? Da news. Here we go. But, but, ooh, are we done yet? There you go. There you go. The music. By the way, and so this is just a slight continuation. I think one of the reasons I like smoking meat so much is it. There's a lot of hobbies that are not nerd specific, but feel like they're nerd hobbies. And to me, the whole the the meat smoking is one of them because you're you're you've got things to measure and techniques yeah, and right, stuff yeah, like that. Right. So yeah, it's a I nerd mean, friendly uh, hobby. Cooking in, general cooking in general is is like viewed as this like ah the women do that kind of thing, right? Or at least it used to in the old days when 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 there were like these set roles for men and women. Um, and cooking is really very it can be very like scientific right because there's, there's oh, a lot going amazing. on there it's like chemistry mixed in with it, is chem yeah, it, is chemistry. it really it's is total so uh so yeah I, I remember like 15 20 years ago when alton brown had his good eats show um just watching him 
describe the science behind cooking was just it's just amazing science. stuff. It's really cool stuff. It's really cool stuff. It's amazing stuff. I don't know. Does he still have that show? He may. Mm. I don't, I don't know. know. I know he he right around the time when uh, everybody was was panicking about um, you know the the initial um, uh, coronavirus outbreaks and everyone's talking about hand washing. He did a video that went all around social media about how he washes his hands. <laughs> Because it's all this very methodical, like how you get all the surfaces on your hands and what kind of soap works better and how he does it when he's traveling. And, you know, obviously you're not supposed to be traveling now, but this is just like a thing that he's always done. He carries his own bar of soap with him in a little tin. And yeah, it's uh, it's it's an interesting video to watch. Speaking of interesting things uh, related to, um, well, kind of related to coronavirus, um, anybody who's on social media, at least on Facebook. I don't know if this is as big a deal on other media outlets like, uh, like Twitter or like LinkedIn or whatever, but there are, there's no end to the conspiracy theories going around about, uh, what's really behind coronavirus. Cause it couldn't possibly just be the story that's, that everyone's telling us. It has to be some nefarious plot. Um, all of a sudden, on my newsfeed on Facebook, I started seeing Bill Gates's name getting mentioned over and over and over again, and about how he's he's uh, he wants to kill off half of the U.S. population, and how he wants to uh, uh, track us all with a vaccine. And I'm like, what? Where did this all come from? Uh, and as I was looking for news for today. An article that popped up in my in my Google alerts that I get uh, because I have one triggered on Microsoft because I like to follow whatever news Microsoft is is all about uh, for the show. Obviously, they are that's a that's, that's a valid topic for us to talk about on Iron Sysadmin. Uh, a Snopes article shows up. Uh, does Microsoft own patent number six hundred sixty six about implanting microchips in people? <laughs> so apparently. <laughs> There's a, there's, there's, you know, along with this, oh, Bill Gates wants to track people with his, with his, uh, um, with his vaccine. Uh, they've, they've made up a story about how, uh, Microsoft owns a patent that is patent number 666, which by the way, uh, that's probably, that would be like a steam powered hoe. Yeah. Right. So how like old that, is the U S patent office and how quickly do you think they got to the number six, six, six. And with how superstitious people were back then, do you think they even used the number? Right. So, well, don't get me going on eschatology, that nonsense where <laughs> the left behind crap that didn't actually hit until the 19th century. Okay. So it's garbage anyway. You can see my 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 Catholic is uh, talking now. <laughs> bye bye. I'll stop. So at any rate, um, it's it's. <laughs> so I'm 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 going to go through Snopes's uh, synopsis here. Let me find it here. Um, they say it's mostly false, which to me was like, wait, what? What do you mean mostly? Uh, yeah, like, it should yeah, mostly. It should actually be bullshit. But right. You know, so don't, when don't you read that. this, you'll be like, yes, it's false. Um, Microsoft published a patent for a cryptocurrency system using body activity data. So I don't know what that patent's all about, but I guess you could construe that to say I'm tracking people. Uh, this patent is filed under the number W02020060606A1. And it says uh, the number W, you know, the number I just read off, contains three sixes, but it's obviously not the same as 666. 
Um, uh, it says this patent focuses on body tracking data via wearable technology, such as a smartwatch, like the one I'm wearing, like a lot of people are wearing, um, and makes no mention of implanted microchips. So, um, you know, basically, as you might expect, uh, the thing that's floating around Facebook about Microsoft owning patent number 666, I haven't actually seen this one, but, um, and how they're tracking people with it, um, false. <laughs> I liked it better when Bill Gates, and this was probably 20 years ago, I liked it better when Bill Gates was going to pay us for forwarding the email yeah. as a test. Yeah. Mm. He was a friendlier Bill Gates then, not was, trying to that was so not trying to force his evil vaccines on us to and turn us in to give us the mark of the beast. What's really funny is so um and I've I've mentioned this this whole like um um duality or whatever with my social presence before on the on the podcast. It's so I I obviously am in the technology space professionally, right? So a lot of my personal stuff is about technology and I have a lot of friends who are in technology whatever. Um I also you know enjoy outdoors hunting, fishing and jeeping. And I have a lot of friends that are on that side, right? And these 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 two types of people, whether you want to call it stereotyping or not, they're just different sorts of people, right? Oh, yeah. And all the people on this people side, on which this is side. the side of all my Jeep friends and hunting friends and whatever, there's a very large subset of those people that are throwing around all these conspiracy theories. I don't know what it is about that that group of people that are so easily convinced... That there has to be some nefarious plot behind all of this, right? I've I've got a similar friends duality as you do. Right, right, right. It's so I'm I'm assuming you're seeing a similar thing then, right? The people on the technology yeah. side are generally just like, yeah, there's a virus, it sucks. <laughs> right? We well, gotta stay at home to avoid getting sick. And it's then the my people friend, on the other side are like, I'm not wearing a freaking mask. I don't care if the governor says so. So I'll <laughs> I'll I'll spell what? What is that booming? Is that from here? That's that's me. Whenever I bump my desk. Oh, okay. I'm it's like, thunder. Oh my! Do you Are someone blowing something up? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <sighs> now that I've distracted everybody. <laughs> no, no. The, but these conspiracy yeah. theories. I mean, I, I guess the, the place I was going with this was like all of a sudden I see all those, all of the people, a lot of people from that group of people, and honestly, out of the hundreds of people that that group may be. Even in my own friends list, there's like five or six of them that are that are spouting this stuff, right? So it's, it's not all of them. It's it's the super conservative slash super evangelical types that right. get sucked into that. Because so I see the same fact. Now all of a sudden, those people are talking about Bill Gates and how we all have to hate Bill Gates because Bill Gates is going to track all the yeah. people and what? Huh? What's Just up? the command to. <laughs> <laughs> it's about Minecraft, isn't it? <laughs> Come on, spit it out. Uh, it's like set time day. Set time day or time set day. It's one or the other. Use the Google. Use the Google. Mark says to use the Google. That's a good segue. I use We're Google. live. I use Google, I use Google to find the uh, U.S. Pen office. Okay, and, Garrett is, uh, yeah, Garrett doesn't care that we're live, yeah, I guess. No, no, I used to. I was say, oh, I use Google to... Uh, Go to, the US pen, go to the U.S. Patent Office website and actually look up what patent number 666 is. Is it a steam-powered hoe? Uh, please, <laughs> steam please be a steam-powered hoe. Please be a steam-powered hoe. What is it? It It is a door latch. 
The door latch. All right. Is it and the door I, latch that, that we all use? That's even more basic. <laughs> and I have I have placed a link in the notes. Is it the little eye? The is it the little eye with the hook? You you swing yeah, the hook right. into the little eyelet, or is it like the sliding bolt thing? Like what is it? That oh, thing is of the devil. It's obviously uh, the, the little uh, eyelet thing. Uh, okay. I, I got a lot of door latch. The, the links in the Google Doc. If you want to go see I'm what looking. this thing is. Oh, it's more like uh, it's more like a conventional door latch, but it's like a friggin' doorknob almost. Nice. <laughs> so at any rate, patented in 1838. Um, the yeah. uh, wow, look. It's so like it could have yeah. been a it could have been a steam powered hoe. Could have been a steam. And by steam powered hoe, I want to clarify this. Yeah. The the thing you would use to till a field, that kind of yes, yeah. not that, not the other kind of hoe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, just so we're clear. Uh, so to tie this all back together, the thing I was trying to get at with hating Bill Gates is like all all of a sudden all these people that have nothing to do with technology are talking about Bill Gates and how how the world needs to hate Bill Gates because he's trying to kill off people or he's trying to implant off, us all with microchips or something. And I'm like, listen, 20 years ago I hated Bill Gates before it was cool. For for good reasons. Yeah, though. yeah. Back when he was trying to like when he was like the robber baron of the IT world, <laughs> and did actual damage and yes. took actual companies out. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. It's like I feel you, but I'm having trouble hating Bill Gates nowadays because like with all the good that he's doing, with all the money he's earned over the years, right? Yeah. At least I feel like he is anyway. With the Gates uh, he's, and stuff like he's, that, and we'll talk about that hey. later. <laughs> if anything, he's maybe trying to make up for all the lives he destroyed with his bad business practices, but I doubt he looks at it that way. He's just Bomber's still a bigger him. asshole, but yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Mr. Linux is a cancer. Uh, yeah, we won. We won, Steve. We won. Indeed. Anyway. Indeed. So anyway, moving on from that little rant. <laughs> all right. We've got... Uh, the Motley Fool, and this is the article that we had trouble reading because both of, uh, we all tried to, like, our brains fell asleep reading it. Um, <sighs> this is about uh, this is about uh, cloud-based the, the, collaboration. The, the cloud-based collaboration. So the, is, isn't that kind of what we're doing now? Right. Uh, so yeah. the, the, the title of the article is, This is the Next Big Opportunity in Tech, and Microsoft is Leading the Pack. Now, I... I have to admit, I, I I couldn't either either my brain shut off or I couldn't find it in the article. I can't figure out why they're saying Microsoft is leading the pack. But uh, based on it looks like it's they're claiming the number of daily users. OK, uh, so it says cloud based collaboration and video conferencing are quickly becoming surprisingly a surprisingly important market. And which is news to no one, by the way. Exactly. This is like and this is like let's state the friggin' obvious. This this is why I wanted to include the article tonight because I thought it'd be a good talking point. Simply to say, um, yeah, right now, cloud-based collaboration is really important because we're all locked in our houses. Like we're or at least not locked on our property. In. Yeah, we're not supposed yeah. to really be out going to the workplace, right? So there's a lot of people working remotely. There's a lot of people that need to depend on these these tools. Is that really going to last after? No. The country is reopened. I, I think we're going to start having people lose their friggin' minds in May. Yeah, we're, or I as mean, we'll call it, shmay. Yeah, we're we're kind of seeing it already with some of these protests that are going on. Don't you think? Right, and oh, depending man. on who you talk to, and hopefully this isn't conspiracy theory fueled. If if they've got the action, if 
there might be far more people who caught the Rona than we thought, which actually yes. makes the death rate comparable to flu. And if the actual mortality rate is comparable to flu, then there's no reason to to continue this current charade. Yeah, I was if, reading... If, if, that's a lot of ifs. Yeah. No, there is. There is. the antibodies test. Let's say, was, how many ifs are we stacking up? Yeah, there? well, I was... I was it's, reading... a nest, it's a nested if statement, Charles. There's no <laughs> doubt to that. Which is why we need the, we need the antibodies test yeah. as soon as possible. Because I might have gotten the Rona. My wife might have too. We're not sure. The, um, um, I was reading like, an article the other day, and I forget, I think it was one of these smaller, like, lower This populated. has nothing to do with cloud-based collaboration, by the way. No, so. it has to do with, with the, 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 the mortality Rona. rate and coronavirus. Um, I was reading this article, it was a, a smaller populated continent, like Iceland Was that the article that pissed a lot of people on your Facebook off? Um, I don't think so. It, Hang on. You had, a me... lively, you had a lively thread there. Oh yeah, that was a different I admittedly one. Admittedly, didn't read the whole thing. That was a different one. No, this you had was to keep explaining. This you had was to keep explaining. Yeah, this this was an article where they where they they had taken a country or a continent, I think, that had a, a lower population, so it was like feasible to test everybody, right? And they they gave everybody a test for coronavirus to see who had it and who didn't, and apparently eighty percent of the population had it. Had the Rona? Was it eighty percent that had it? No, it was eighty percent that had it. And showed zero symptoms. Yeah. So 80% of the people that tested positive showed zero symptoms, right? So that would, I guess that would mean 20% actually had symptoms. And I don't know what the death rate is out of all of that. Um, but that means that the you can't... Like right now, we're basing all these numbers on... Uh, you don't actually... You don't get a test. You don't get confirmed to have had coronavirus unless you're like... You've seen a doctor because you had symptoms... Or because you couldn't breathe, or you know, like whatever, right? So if there's if there's a very large number of people that that are exposed to coronavirus, catch coronavirus, show zero symptoms, or show mild symptoms, and they never go get tested, there, I can't imagine there's any way they're counting these people, right? So no. again, back to what you're saying, um, it could be that these numbers are way off, but again, you don't know that for sure until everyone's been checked. And there's a related problem, which is what they're starting to see is people who were more or less asymptomatic um, but had it also have actually incurred um, lung damage that yes. that manifests in certain cases and um, like blood clotting issues. So you're seeing people who previously didn't have much in the way of symptoms suffering strokes. Um, so the um, I mean, really, just the bottom line there. That muddies the water a bit too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's, there's. Bottom line is, it is a relatively new disease. We don't know a lot about it, and unfortunately, uh, we we don't currently have the testing infrastructure. We just we don't have data. We're trying to make decisions. Like we're doing this extreme thing because uh, here, ooh, watch me tie this back. Um, we don't know really anything about the um, about the uh, system in question, which in this case is like the public health of the country. So until we learn something about it, we got to put everything on lockdown, which is not fun. Yeah, like, right, right. Nobody yeah. is enjoying this. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not advocating for like, oh my god, we should take away all these these various uh, bans and whatnot that we've put in place. We do need to understand all this better, though. And I tell you what, there's going to be people very upset if it turns out that all this was for naught and it turns well, out like, like oh the whole population's already been exposed anyway right 
<laughs> but we didn't, we didn't know. I mean, it's like Y two K. You know, right. you know, we spent you know, he spent billions on Y two K mitigation. The world didn't end, and people's like, "Oh, I wasted money." It's like, yeah. all right, um, well, what's our, what's that our that control model. group? It did yes. that work? Yeah, exactly. yeah. Well, that's that's exactly that's exactly the thing that people are trying to to tout now. It's like, okay, we did all these things. The curve mm -hmm. is flattening. Um, mm -hmm. That's expected. That's yeah, that's, that's not good. that's not by chance. That's that's why we did all this, right? So there's going to be a lot of people at the end of this, just like there's a lot of people thinking that Bill Gates is trying to microtrip and track all of us. There's going to be a lot of people at the end of this going like, "Why why did we shut down the country? It didn't turn out to be all that bad." Well, it wasn't all that bad because we shut <laughs> down the country. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. So at any rate, um, I don't know. I don't know if I mean, The Motley Fool is generally a, a trusted source for, you know, this sort of uh, futures or not futures. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, prediction sort of uh, tracking. But so, um, I don't know. I don't so They're basically saying Microsoft's going to win, which I don't I've never used teams in my life. Neither have I. No. And it's not just teams. I think it's like they're including because they compare it. Uh, to Google Drive and Google Meet, not just the conferencing software, but the collaboration software. So in this case, you're talking uh, about Office 365 along with with Teams uh, and stuff like that. Um, I was yeah. say for us, you know, we're a G Suite shop, so you know, for us, it's a mix. It's it, predominantly we're doing Google Meet conferencing, and I have to say, Meet as a product has improved markedly over the last couple of weeks, um, <laughs> and that and uh, Slack calls. Really, the I mean, the on the educational side, they're using Zoom. Um, so, we, but you know, there's a limited number of Zoom Pro licenses, and Zoom has feature. Zoom has some features like breakout rooms that are really yeah. great for the educational settings. So, we've prioritized the Pro licenses for the um, for the academic side of the house and for admin meetings. We're using Meet. I didn't know Z. I didn't know Zoom had breakout meetings. I had no idea. Like, I didn't know that was a feature, and then. So my my daughters are Girl Scouts, right? Mm -hmm. um, because of the age difference, they're in two different levels of Girl Scouts, right? One's a brownie and one's a junior, right? However, they name stuff in Girl Scouts. Um, the the scout leader is using Zoom to hold their meetings, right? But because they're in different levels, they're supposed to be separated, right? So she's like, "Oh, we're gonna do breakout rooms," and I'm like, "You're gonna do what? What now? <laughs> like, I work in IT. I use Zoom all the freaking time. You're gonna what? What's a breakout room?" <laughs> I learned something from my girl's scout teacher, scoutmaster. <laughs> I thought that was uh, that was kind of funny. That's funny. So, yeah, um, collaboration. Guess what? It's a thing. Online collaboration. It's important during a pandemic. I don't know that it will be. I mean, it's obviously it's still important because all of us we use this. Yeah, all of us are using this. Most of us tech nerds are using this every day anyway. Yeah, right, right. Right. So, it's like all the people who aren't us, though, have suddenly been dragged into this yeah. world. So we'll see how much of it sticks. So, I mean, I guess that that is valid, right? So just like you were saying how you have instructors or professors. I'm sorry, I wouldn't want to use the word instructors and and, uh, <laughs> and slight them of their degree. Um, the the professors that you that you dealt with that were previously not using your Moodle platform, right? And now they are because they have to, right? There's no, mm -hmm. they don't have any choice. Um, will that stick, right? Once all these restrictions are lifted and the kids are physically back on campus, 
Are they going to keep using Moodle or are they going to be like, oh, I hated using that crap. Well, I had to do it. And they're going to go back to doing the way they were with their VHS tapes. And <laughs> Well, I mean, honestly, honestly, a lot of that just depends on what happens with the fall 2020 term. Yeah, right, right. Like it's one thing to do what amounts to triage and you know throwing things online just to maintain some kind of continuity. But, you know, you're starting to see some schools already saying, well, we're going to do our fall 2020 term online just because of the uncertainty. Yeah. And so that means going in, which means you actually have the time, as obnoxious as it is, to, you know, rebuild a lesson plan and actually be a little more purposeful. Right, right. Because there's just there's the opportunity to do it. Man, I'm hoping they don't. I'm hoping Stevens has classes because, like I was saying before the show, my son's are starting his freshman year at Stevens, mm -hmm. and I really want him to have that experience. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <sighs> yep. So, moving along, Tech Radar, and this is more or less we're closing the loop on a thing, a thread that's been going on Iron Nate's System favorite game. for several years at this point. Uh, you may remember that like a year and a half or two years ago... He was just playing before the show started. Yeah, right. We talked about how Fortnite, the people who make Fortnite, Epic Games, right? Um, they were not going... They, they're not putting Fortnite on the Android market because they don't want to pay Google every time somebody downloads or purchases uh, add-ons through Fortnite. Uh, because that's the way this works, right? Google lets you put your app on there. If your app is for pay, they get a cut of all your profits. Um, which is, you know, that's that's how they make money on the Google market or on the Google Play Store. Um, well, Epic Games said, like, nope, we're not going to do that. Uh, we're going to release an APK, which is, you know, for those of you non-Android users, an APK is basically a, a package of an app for Android. All the pieces are in there, and you put it on your phone, and it runs from there, similar to how the way Apple packages things up into little... Uh, little, you know, how you can just drag an icon onto your desktop and now you've got the program. Well, that's how an APK works. Well, you can distribute those to Android without using the Google Play Store. The only problem is they're not signed. And any Android device that has the Google Store on it, um, or not Google Store, I keep using that word, it's the Google Play Store, um, has a certificate in place that matches the signature on the app so that you'll know if it is a trusted quote unquote application that has been scanned and gone through whatever rigors or, or you know, an app is supposed to go through to make sure that it's safe to be rigors. on the Google Play Store. Rigors, indeed. Um, I suspect most of those rigors have to do with writing a check. Yeah, right. We won't talk at the moment about how lots of applications have gotten past those rigors, <laughs> right? And still mm. get malicious software onto the Play Store and- Although you kind of just did, yeah, right, sort of. Right, but I mean, that happens in both marketplaces. It also happens on iOS. So it's it's not an Android-only mm. thing. Um, my point is they didn't want to pay the money. So they were, they were just telling people, download the APK right from our website, uh, go into your phone settings and that thing in there that says only install applications from known sources, just uncheck that. You don't need it. Uh, install our game, <laughs> right? Which, of course, our opinion, Buy our stuff. our opinion on that was that's a terrible idea. Don't do that because it opens you up to lots of other nefarious apps. <clears throat> because if you're not installing signed apps, you don't know where they came from, right? They haven't been tested. So uh, inquiry. To pull it, Mr. Data, inquiry. Sure. Can you change the setting, download the unsigned app, and then change the setting back, and the app will still run? You could, yes. Okay. But Because you could drop the like drop in the shield so you could be in the landing party backup. Okay. You know how end users work, Mark. Oh, they're lazy. They're how terrible. Many, 
How many people turn the that shields back on? Would, the shields would stay down, and then the Klingons will just they hit would, your bridge and you're dead. They would put the shields down to beam Riker back on board and then just <laughs> fly <laughs> off into an asteroid. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. I'm just, a- I'm just axing. Yeah. Just axing. So, yes, that could work. So, um, the the the... The point I was getting at was that's the discussion we had a year and a half or two years ago. Uh, there was another article maybe a few months ago where uh, Epic was basically saying, like, look, we're we're not getting enough Android users. We might just have to go ahead and put it on the Play Store and eat that. Which excited you because you were using the uh, Android again at that point. Yeah. And you well, wanted to play Fortnite. Again, I do not play Fortnite. I don't know why. So you say. that. <laughs> Even my kids don't play Fortnite. It's like it's on the Switch and it it's it's been used a bit and that's it. They're, they're not like the Fortnite a- addicts you see everywhere. Okay. Okay. Uh, so anyway, um, if you're not it? on the video, Nate's flossing right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're off the show, Mark. Bye. <laughs> oh, no! so I figured out, I figured out what buttons I have to press. That didn't, okay. that didn't last long. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, all that lead up to say Tech Radar has an article. Fortnite for Android is finally on the Play Store after Epic Games yields to Google. I'm, I'm picturing, I'm picturing, I'm picturing Google standing there with a giant claymore and Epic Mega, or Epic Games on their knees, going, "Please, please save the crops." Anyway. <laughs> Except Epic will make a a, a, a a metric ton of money from all the twelve yeah. year olds with Google devices right. that will be buying their skins. Right. So the yeah. whole reason that they're doing this, the the reason they finally caved, I'm Hag-a-ga-ga. sure, because they like money, is because they want people to install their game, and they realized the thing that we predicted two years ago that you're not going to get people to install your game if you have to turn off the if you have to go through like this whole rigmarole to get your game installed. Right. People just want to go to the Play Store, click the button, and have it. And have your your game. Uh, right? I, is Fortnite even still a thing? Uh, still, I'm going to ask the Google I'm that. Sh- I'm sure it is. You're going to find like images of 12 year olds flossing. And but anyway, that's probably it. Sales are probably down, and they're like, "Oh, we got to bolster this Android thing." Well, there was an article written in early March that says that you've still got uh, you still got a lot of players every night. Yeah. Okay. Oh, huh. Early March. At the at the end of the article here, it's here it says, uh, of course, it's worth noting that Apple's App Store policies operate in almost an identical fashion to Google's. And all this time, uh, Fortnite has been available on iOS devices, but but Epic didn't have a choice. They had to do it on Apple because they had to kneel before Zod immediately. Right. There is yeah. no there is no check mark <laughs> to remove <laughs> on your Apple device unless you jailbreak the phone, and no one's going to go through that just to get Fortnite. Yeah. So and Karen, the soccer mom, has the has the iOS device, so right. that you know, so yeah, right. So so that's that's what uh, Jackson's playing on. Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) With his soccer haircut. Yeah. It's funny because my wife coaches soccer and our kids both play soccer. Now you're jabbing at the soccer kids too. 
I'm ja- I'm jabbing at the rich soccer kids from Nazareth. Maybe you're maybe uh, no, it's our, a little better. Our kids are not. not the not the rich soccer kids. That's for dang sure. Okay. Okay. And I jab at everybody. You know that. Yeah. Right. So uh, <laughs> moving on to an article that I don't think any of us read because Jason no. added it and then couldn't make it to the show. <laughs> we could just skip it. Yeah, we, we could, but I'll, I'll at least give you guys the headline, you know, just like the mainstream media will do. Um, so this is from NBC News because the article that he shared with us from what? The Washington Post uh, required mm-hmm. you to subscribe to read it. And, um, the Washington Post. It wouldn't whether, even, the DNS entry wouldn't even whether, resolve it. Whether you like paying That's for news or not, I wanted to put yeah. a link in here that you could actually click on without having to, to pay anybody for. So anyway, um, uh, logins of WHO, that's the World Horth... Yeah, Horth... Oh, the World Horth... Health Organization. <laughs> the Gates Foundation employees uh, the world circulate on the... From Pat 666. Use your words, mate. Oh, the I am trying to. You guys are speaking over top. <laughs> Logins of the Who, which is that band from the Woo! 70s. Um, yeah. The Gates Foundation employees circulate on the fringes of the Internet. Now, I don't know where the fringes of the Internet are because I didn't read the article thoroughly enough. My to, backyard near my tell. shed, I think. It could certainly be like the Rainer dark web or something or, you know, just paste bin. I don't know. But um, apparently a lot Poor of... Jam. A lot of, um, let's see, analysis of the information found it had likely been collected from previous breaches, a practice that break, is not break. uncommon on the Internet's black market for data. So basically, oh, at God, some I point... Oh, God, I called it 4chan. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's oh, the fringe. Oh, 4chan, 4chan's now a right-wing extremist forum? When did that happen? Uh, because of QAnon. Mm. Yeah. I kid you not. I forget if I talked about this on the show, but um, like a month and a half or two months ago, I was called for jury duty. Right. And mm-hmm. so I report to the courthouse like a good citizen. And um, they ended up dismissing us because the case got thrown out. But um, as I'm sitting there in the courtroom waiting for them to give us our, our like initial jury training. Right. And tell us what we're supposed to be doing. Jury training, sir. There's these yeah. there's these two. <laughs> there's two women behind me. And they're having this conversation about um, <laughs> the World Ho Organizers. Thank you, Trooper-ish. That was, <laughs> that, that was great. That was my joke, Is it a yeah, steam-powered okay. World Ho Organizer? You bet. <laughs> steam-powered. The anyway, the show finally eats itself. There's, there's these two women sitting behind me who are... So... Steam-powered O's? Like, I envision 4chan as, like, this sort of... There's like an in crowd of people that go visit 4chan. People that know about 14. 4chan. Everyone else doesn't care about it, right? No one cares about 4chan because it's like this little corner of the internet where like dank memes get shared and horrible pornography is shared and no one else cares, right? People that are interested in those things go there. Uh, people that are like in the security industry and whatever may go there to like keep up to date on stuff and whatever. But otherwise, no one cares about 4chan. Well, there's these two just... I don't know how to say this without sounding demeaning, but they're just like average women. They're not, they're just people, just average citizens, right? They're not anything. Two parents. They're not, they're not like, they're not in IT. They're not, they're not 12 year old boys looking for porn. They're not, right? They're not the people I would expect to know anything about 4chan. They're sitting behind me talking about, um, I think it was some, some thing 
some fiasco surrounding the president. And they're like, oh, oh, there's this guy on 4chan. They call him Q. And he does, he says this and that, and it all comes true. And and I remember hearing a, uh, uh, the only reason I know anything about this Q person is because there was a, an episode of Reply All where they talked about Q. They were talking about Pizzagate. If you remember Pizzagate and like yeah. the whole supposed child pornography ring that was coming out of some pizza place in Chicago or whatever that was owned back, by the Clintons and like, like this whole big conspiracy thing. And they were all talking about Q during this because that was supposedly where this came from. So it just it just floored me that these two average people like nothing against these people just these two average people are talking about 4chan and QAnon and like chemtrails and like all the all the craziness that goes oh. on on 4chan right i just i don't know i just had to share that cuz I, I i just couldn't believe that this was it was like well, it's like all the so, go ahead i was going to say some things were never meant to escape from the lab but yes, four chan and coronavirus. Now, <laughs> so at so, any rate, um, yes, four chan apparently is is sharing uh, a bunch of logins from the World Steam Powered Hose Organization and the Gates Foundation. Apparently, um, I mean, the article implies just from the very little bit I've read that it's not like some new breach or anything. It's a bunch of collected data from previous breaches. So. How valid is this stuff? I don't know. Um, but, you know, here you go. It's news. If you want to go read the article, it's in the, in the show notes. And on to our last news. It's, I guess, this is kind of like news. It's from Ars Technica. Uh, Charles, both you and Jason shared this one, right? So can you can you talk more intelligent, intelligently about this one than I've been for this entire show? Uh, well, uh, Easily. Easily. Can you speak English? Because that's 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 uh, the that's the bar right now. I'm not sure. I'm gonna say the bar's not very high. Um, (laughs) So, I look. I'm not a storage expert, and I I don't know that I can really do a deep dive on this. But the long and the short of it is die, die, Aruga, Aruga. Um, The uh, Ars Technica was doing something of a deep dive on um, raids. And certainly, raids have moved into you know consumer land now. With things like you know, you know, like actual consumer network attached storage. Uh, like you mean Macos. raids like a redundant array of inexpensive disks? Not I raids. Mean, I, not raids like um, when World the, of when, when SWAT teams show up at your house or something. I'm well, that's sort of moved into, that's sort of moved into the mainstream too, actually. But <laughs> uh, uh, yes, excuse me, redundant arrays of inexpensive disks. You know, independent discs now, I guess. It used to be inexpensive. Now they're not. Probably both. But anyway, um, like I've got Synology NAS in my house. It's great. It does its job. And, you know, hard drive manufacturers make, um, you know, make have lines of hard drives that are specially designed for NASs like Western Digital's red discs. And I guess I have a few of them in my Synology. Same. Um, they're great. But, uh, you know, they're, they're meant to run 24-7. Um, they're kind of designed to be maybe more written to than read from. And But so the specific issue here that they found then some, I guess in some Western digital disks specifically, they found that the network attached storage line was incorporating something called uh, 
shingle magnetic recording, um, which I guess means you can have a higher storage density on the disc, but the um, the performance the, is crappier. Yeah, yeah, the performance is worse, and apparently this first got noticed with people um, using ZFS because they were having problems actually using these disks in network attached storage because the performance was so bad. Wow. Like, like if you had a ZFS storage array, um, these disks would not stay in the array. That's how bad they, they got are. Punt, they got punted for being bad, and they should feel bad about themselves. They should should feel bad about themselves. So, you know, it's, I thought that was interesting. Like, it's a reminder that no matter how much you think you know about the technology in your house, there is a whole level of crazy that you, you were just, like, never aware of. Like, well, yeah, to, me, I mean, a hard, to me, a drive is a commodity. Like, I don't... Yeah. Don't think too hard about it. Yeah, exactly. You buy a disc that's labeled as as a NAS disc. You maybe you care about the RPMs or the obviously the storage size, um, and that's it. That's as much as you think about it. Um, I think a lot of people forget that a hard drive has quite a bit of firmware baked into it to make it do what it does, and that's that's the level that this SMR thing probably exists in, um, and that's all about you know how the data is stored. I imagine there's some level of maybe compression that could go on at that level. Maybe not. I don't know if those things are powerful enough to handle that. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised that this is a thing. Um, maybe they assumed that the, the redundancy in a RAID array, um, you know, the, the fact that data is written across many disks at once would cover up for the fact that the disks are slower uh, at performing these these reads and writes or just writes um, because, you know, there's more heads writing it, right? And they, they thought the storage trade-off was worth it, right? Because you, you got to think about it, right? So drives have a finite amount of space no matter how you're storing that data. And there's going to be a point, maybe we've already reached it and that's why this stuff exists, where there's only so much data you can fit within a single three and a half inch drive, right? Whether it's spinning disks or, or uh, NVMe or... SSD or whatever. Uh, so now they have to start playing software games to make all that stuff work. And I'm sure they've already been doing that. Uh, yeah, sure. And this is just the next level of that, right? It's yeah. the same deal with like CPUs and whatever. They stopped making CPU. Maybe you've noticed they've stopped making CPUs significantly faster. Like it used to be we would go like every couple months you'd have, oh, well, now we've gone from 33 megahertz to 66. Now from 66 to 120. Now from, and it was just like constantly doubling, right? Well, now. In fact, it. Yeah. Now they haven't gotten significantly faster. They're just getting more and more cores in them, so they're getting more dense, right? And Intel and Intel the past two years has decided to, in fact, make them crappier because we have to keep turning off the acceleration <laughs> thing. Yes, Intel that's had exact, one job. That's exactly they had it. one job, that's, and they screwed up. That's exactly. Yeah. That's but it's the same deal as this. It's the same deal as this, right? Um, Intel thought they were being creative and trying to predict what uh, calculation had to happen next so that they could have it ready so you know for the the system to consume right um and they thought this is great now we have now we have better performance and this is cool let's bake it into all of our chips it's awesome what could go wrong <laughs> right yeah we'll and show you until bad guys were like hey what's it doing over there what's all that Ooh, let's grab that data yeah <laughs> right? hold my beer yeah yeah, yeah. So, at any rate, um, 
this isn't a vulnerability necessarily, like uh, like Spectre and Meltdown were, and all of the things that have followed it this, since. Yeah, this uh, seems to this be is, poor communication from a vendor. Yeah, like this is slip slipping the customers the fish. Yeah, right, right. You know, it's it's something to pay attention to. Um, oh yeah, you know, just one more thing to pay attention to. Like you're you're buying uh, hard drives for network attached storage, and I was actually thinking about upgrading my array, and so it's. But it could, depending on how nerdy you are, it could easily be one of those things where, oh shit, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like it, you could really easily be like someone who really does know their stuff, and that you just don't know all the not- ins and outs of how a hard drive works. And all of a sudden, you've got this poorly performing hard drive that holds twelve terabytes, but it's because uh, of this this extra layer of software that's actually making well, the I'm- performance abysmal. Yeah. And I'm going to be perfectly honest, like my professional job is like, you know, being a platform expert and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I, my hardware chops are not great anymore. Yeah. Like I used to, I used to know the hardware a lot better. And today yeah. I'm just like, it's a computer. It's got flashing lights. Yeah. <laughs> it's a keyboard. Like I don't, I just don't know the hardware anymore. I probably like, haven't I, built a computer in 15 years. I've I built this, I built a gaming rig, but I I had a nerd friend help me. Like yeah. I was the I was the Padawan. Oh, so, baby Yoda! I built I built a gaming a gaming rig for the first time in a while last year, and like I used to always like I you know in college right after I was living that thing where you know I had custom case, I was replacing components, and I did all that. But yeah, I moved you know that I eventually fell out of the habit, and I had to get back into it. And yeah, I had to get advice because I'm like, wow. uh, Marketplace sure moved on the last 10 years. How about yeah. that? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I I was the same way, right? Like I, I could rattle off all kinds of computer hardware, what was best and whatever. People would come to me for advice on how they should build machines and whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't do that anymore. Like, but what I will say. Uh, in yeah. fact, just, just like two weeks ago, right? I had built my dad a computer years ago um, and, and he had me build it in such a way that it would last for several years. And now it's getting to the point where it's getting older and there's some components that are starting to fail. He had two optical uh, DVD RWs in there and one of them failed apparently a year ago and he never, he didn't care because there were two of them. And then the other one has just recently failed. And he, he simply wrote me and said like, "Uh, so I need to replace these things. What should I replace them with? And I wrote back with like, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> like uh find some more sata drives and <laughs> look, I don't at, know. look at the reviews <laughs> <sighs> anyway one of you was trying to say something before i started on that charles was it you i forget somebody yeah, i don't know if it was i don't remember okay sorry i've i've gone off on a, on a tangent but anyway there's a tangent for sure uh, and, then, and then actually to, to tie up the story he came back to me he's like so i found this plex store uh sata DVD RW. I'm like, yeah, Plex Store. I remember that name. <laughs> Buy that one. <laughs> it's got to be good. Nate remembers the name. Oh. So, yeah, hopefully that works out well because I don't know if I can <laughs> salvage that one. Uh. So, anyway, um, yes, seems like some red label drives might be slow. And uh, I guess um, Western Digital did respond in here. So, they did. Um, like the issue is complicated. It's worth reading the article, yeah. try to wrap your head around just like everything that's going on. Yeah. Cool. So that's all the news we have for tonight. Um, I love that we have patent number 666 in the show notes now. 
I just closed that, that, is awesome. that news and went back to the show notes and saw it sitting here. Yeah. And and Very my important. God, what a URL. That's it's, a, it's, that's got a, like, it's like two embedded URLs. In that's one. a mighty, a mighty URL. Crazy URL. Uh, we are definitely looking at a uh, legacy content management system here. Yeah, you think? You think? <clears throat> Where you can read, you can read the URL and figure out exactly what you're looking at without going to the page. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Because all the content is embedded into the URL. Right. <laughs> Smooth move. Yeah. yeah. So, so, I guess that's it for tonight. Um. Sounds like it's Unless getting there. Anybody has any any more uh, odd stories to share about how they don't know about hardware anymore, or uh, uh, if you want to speaks for itself further further destroy the English language like I was, um, or if you want to talk about steam powered hose some more, you know that's fine. <laughs> I think steam powered hose deserve their own show. Almost they might they might. I don't know if it would uh, fall into the same niche as Iron Sysadmin. Maybe it would. So, at any rate, I guess we're going to close the show up because we're coming up on two hours anyway, and it's about that time. So, uh, thank you, folks, for watching. Those of you who watch this live, uh, anyone who's listening. Always a pleasure to have you in our living room. (laughs) Right, right. So, um, if you want to know what sort of weird things I I had worn when Charles asked me what I was wearing, you're going to have to go back and look at the video if you're listening audio only. (laughs) I don't recommend it. It wasn't that great. if you're listening afterward and you want to know when you can watch us live, uh, you should probably head on over to YouTube, youtube.com slash podcast, and subscribe and hit the little notification bell. It'll let you know when we go live, which is generally the second and fourth Thursday of every month uh, at around 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, if you want to chat with us directly, you can do so via the Slack workspace. Go to ironsysadmin.com forward slash Slack. If you have any problems with the link, please reach out to us on Twitter or Facebook. You can do so uh, by searching for Iron Sysadmin on either of those two platforms. Um, the Slack link, the reason I bring that up is because it does expire from time to time. And unless someone tells me it's expired, I don't always notice right away because, well, I'm not joining our Slack workspace all that all that often. So... <laughs> Uh, if you want to listen to us uh, in a in a way that is automatically downloaded to your phone, like you would expect a podcast to be, you can subscribe to us where you normally find podcasts. I know for a fact that we are on Apple Podcasts and Google Play Podcasts and Stitcher, and a lot of places syndicate those, so uh, you can probably find us on lots of other places as well. Uh, if you can't find us, let us know, and we'll see if we can get the show listed. When are we going to be on Live Journal? Um, Probably Ooh. never. <laughs> Harsh. I, miss, I miss Live Journal, like 2003 era Live Journal. Yeah. That was great. And uh, if you'd like to support the show directly monetarily, you can do so via Patreon, patreon.com slash ironsysadmin. And then we'll read your name off uh, in the, uh, the earlier parts of the show the same way we did tonight. Uh, don't worry. I almost always remember to drop off people's last names. So if you don't want to be, uh, if you don't want your last name read on the air, don't worry. We won't be doing that. And I think that's it for tonight. So I'm just going to thump on my desk some more to make Mark wonder where the thunder's coming from. Time to let him go. <laughs> let him go. Go and watch some more Netflix. No, Disney Plus. Let him go. <laughs> let him go. Uh. Uh, all right, folks. So thanks for watching. And we will catch you on the next show. Right? You guys want to say goodnight before I hit the button? The next show. The next. 
Good night, friends. Good night, fans. <laughs> Good night, all. Good night, Moon. Good night, uh, Room. <laughs> uh, you've just reminded me. <laughs> Remember how uh, Samuel L. Jackson read that "Go the F to Sleep" book? Yeah. Yes. There's a Amazing. there's there's another one called "Stay the F at Home." You can imagine what it's about. I Ooh. I can. The same the same author reached out to Samuel L. Jackson and said, hey, I've got a new poem for you to read. Can you read this one on the air? And he did it on, like, Jimmy Kimmel or something. <laughs> so, good stuff. Go look it up. Stay the F at home. All right. Good night, <laughs> folks. Have a good one. I'm going to. I'm going to do both. I'm going to look. <laughs> <laughs>